This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're flying through the clouds, fighting giant samurai monsters and faceless gray bureaucracies as we're watching spine number 51 in the Criterion Collection, Terry Gilliam's Brazil from 1985. But first, RJ, how do you find yourself this fine evening? Me? Uh, I've been better. I've yeah. been better. I uh, I watched someone eat an apple in the most obnoxious way possible today, and that mm. really upset me. Go on. This guy was a real piece of shit. Let me tell you. So it was the the cow sale just ended, and I was uh, in the office. I was behind the uh, the counter with my aunt. My aunt runs the office, and uh, this guy came in with his son, and his son was about I don't know at least twenty years old. He's like 6'3", big boy. Mm-hmm. And he was eating this apple, right? And the way the counter works is the people on the other side are standing, and it's got like an overhang where my aunt is sitting in the chair, right? You know, a counter. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this kid got this apple. This hoss. This hoss, yeah, this boss hoss, uh, boss hog outlaw. He leaned over, took this the biggest bite of this apple, and then just proceeded to open mouth chew the entire apple right like at least two feet away from my aunt's face just and then you know what he did jer so he was eating the whole apple and at one point i saw him take a huge bite and then he took the piece he bit out of his mouth as if he had cut the slice off like a normal person and then he ate it like an apple slice so he was doing that and he was like homping and chawing and then he kind of leaned forward and he burped <laughs> right right like right by my aunt's head and now my aunt she's not a kind woman she has a very short temper and i i got to give it to her she was a she somehow kept it in Aww. and didn't say anything i mean 5 10 years ago you pull that shit you would have been fucking i don't know man i was hoping this was like she, and then she slapped the shit out of him <laughs> Yeah, she back in the day she would have. I, I think now she's she's getting a little older. She's trying to be a little bit better mannered. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw this guy eating this apple, burping and chomping, and I was just like, "What a piece of shit!" It's like there's a there's like twelve hundred cows outside, and every one of them is a better person than you are. Mm-hmm. So sounds like a real red stater type. He might have been. He might have been. So that uh, that's got me in the mood here to podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm fueled with anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, man? You like this rain? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, this morning uh, I walked over to the comic book store uh, for my se- for my second day of work this summer. And uh, yeah, I didn't really realize how much it was raining. <laughs> and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I got a good soak on. I was pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty damp uh, by the time I got to the store. It's like a 20-minute walk. It's not that far, but, man, yep. yeah. Walking under the canopy of those trees uh, in this very uh, old residential area I live in, and mm-hmm. you just get, yeah, dumped on. Just pools of water just flowing all over you. Do you have an umbrella? No, fuck that. You animal. You're such a... Oh, you bad. <laughs> Walking around with no umbrella. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the rain may, uh, makes it really sloppy out at uh, the market with the cows, so mm-hmm. did that you wasn't a, good. Did you have a nice mm-hmm. long shower after today? Uh, yeah, I did. I uh, I was working in the ring today, so I didn't get completely destroyed, but uh, 
you know, the people outside weren't happy. So mm-hmm. it's life, man. That's yeah. what happens when you work in the world. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at the comic book store, I got to sell people shit that they don't need. Uh, as I was talking about the other week, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, people have the same bad taste as they always have had. <laughs> what do you mean by bad taste? Uh, I don't know. People buy like, people buy some real shitty comic books. RJ, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the X Men comics. Oh, I've uh, I've read one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, this weekend I uh, I took the kind of new jumping on point that just came out, X Men Prime. Mm-hmm. Took that out of the store just to give it a gander to see what all the kids are talking about. Uh, see if, uh, I mean, I like the X-Men as a concept, but it seems like uh, often writers are shackled with like editorial mandates about how characters are supposed to sound, act. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I gave it a whirl. It lasted about five pages. Uh, I think I sent you some highlights of uh, oh, yeah. bad, bad inner monologues, uh, you know, real natural ways of talking, bad drawing <clears throat> so yeah. I was just like oh that was enough for me but sure enough at the store there's people asking me hey do you got any of that x-men gold and blue which are all like the spin out of this prime and i was just like uh, oh but it's like i'm in that position where i'm like well they probably will like it just fine and then some people were like, excited like yeah make sure i'm down for that i want to get more of this and mm. i'm just like oh life life's too short for bad stuff so a lot of grade A chumps. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the side of the business I kind of forget about every uh, mm-hmm. every school year when I'm not around there all the time. Uh, the sort of yeah. the, the stuff that passes as, as acceptable uh, in the comics yeah. medium for a lot of people. But <sighs> for every, for every ten X Men books you sell, you do get to sell one hentai DVD or something, and that's got to make <laughs> it all worthwhile, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That, those were the old days. The, the the good old days the, when we had the adult box. <laughs> Ooh, there's no adult box anymore. I know oh, the owner of the, the store. I feel like there would be. Oh, there used to be many years ago. There was those special DVDs, those uh, OVAs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. like it's very uh, like basically exactly the type of guys you imagine that would come up to the counter without having any problems saying, "Oh, can I take a look at the adult box, please?" Mm-hmm. They, they don't give a shit. And then you're like, here you Nor go. Nor should they. And then they they earned it. And then they'd buy one of these fucking things. And yeah, uh, yeah those days have passed. I think those. Uh-huh. I think, uh, unfortunately, the internet has made. Or actually, fortunately, I guess it's made their lives a lot easier in tracking this stuff down. And it costs yeah. them nothing. Uh, and then I don't have to see them anymore and have to think about what they do when they watch their mm-hmm. tapes. Well, you wait until Donald Trump uh, mainlines hentai, and then uh, it's going to be all over again. He's going to take it back to what it used to be. But uh, if anyone out there is interested on what these guys Jarrett's describing look like, Google Jarrett Duncan, and then you'll see exactly the kind of guys who aren't don't shy away from uh, asking for hentai in public. Come on, ref. Didn't you ask for that one time at like a Burger King? Or oh, you were asked to leave because you're you were playing it too loud. You know, it's, I remember. It's fitting that uh, a few of these guys actually did work at Burger King. Oh no. The guys making my beloved BK were watching hentai in their spare time? Yeah, damn right. They oh, and they, no. they still do, RJ. They still work there. But I love that food. Hey, RJ, we've I... got some uh, listener email. What? Mm-hmm. We've been on a real gold streak since I uh, mm-hmm. broke down emotionally and cried <laughs> a few episodes ago. Uh, well, Oliver Granger is uh, helping uh, pull back those tears. 
Um, mm-hmm. He answered the call that we uh, sent out there about alien movies to watch on a Thursday. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, mention was actually one that I didn't realize, I guess, was an alien movie, but I had heard of it. It's a Hong Kong movie called The Cat from 1992. Whoa, that uh, that fits a bunch of our interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just has to say, I haven't seen it, but it's from the director of Riccio. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Riccio before. Uh, you might have seen some gifs of it uh, out there on the internet. Uh, but those are those are good things. Uh, aliens and Riccio. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie's definitely been on my watch list. I do have a file of it uh, ready to go whenever. So uh, that's a possibility for the near future, I think, RJ. Of Riccio or the cat? Uh, both. Why not? I was talking about the cat, but yeah, Riccio's mm-hmm. a good time too. Okay, I'm I'm in, baby, because uh, ooh shit, I know this movie. Yeah, I, I'm totally in. Yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen like the bits of the climax on YouTube or something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah. this fucker's in my watch list. So clearly, I had uh, come across it once in my day. But uh, that's a that's a strong pick. Mm-hmm. We're watching it. Okay, nice, baby. Uh, well, thanks, Oliver, again. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, RJ. What have you yes. managed to creep on this week? I feel like it's been a dry pool. Uh, it is. I have I have three solid creeps. That's a oh. pretty pretty fair share. Okay. So uh, since so I did some watching, not a ton. I've been working. I'm actually working now. So oh, you know yeah. I've been a little bit busy. But uh, I so since you deep down want this to be the side wrestling cast. Uh, I watched something you forced on me called The Wrestling Road Diaries. This is, if people out there aren't aware, and I'm sure they're not, uh, (laughs) this is a almost three-hour documentary about uh, the road life of uh, young amateur wrestlers. American wrestlers. American wrestlers. Uh, I think the claim to fame for this one is it was following... The escapades of young Daniel Bryan, or is it Brian? Brian, Brian Danielson is his real name, but he went okay. would go on to be branded by the WWE uh, company as D- Daniel Bryan. <laughs> and what's the logic there? Why did they reverse um, his name? Because they, oh God. So the basic thing is with them, uh, they they're really paranoid about like people coming into their company and then like building themselves up within the company using the company's resources and then leaving them and then like exploiting the name that they use using company resources. It's just inane. It's so dumb. Yeah. And so they give you different names a lot of the time. Um, so right. Brian Danielson becomes Daniel Bryan because then they can copyright you. And then so if, if whenever uh, uh, Brian Danielson leaves, he can't be Daniel Bryan anywhere else he goes because he's not Daniel Bryan. But he can be Brian Danielson. He can go back he to really yeah. Is, he can right? go back to his real name, and everyone will mm-hmm. know it's the same difference. But yeah. like they're, they're they think people are very dumb, and well, some people and some people are dumb. Yeah. But yeah, there's like silly things. Like uh, recently, there was like the one wrestler. He goes by Cody Rhodes in mm-hmm. WWE. His real name is Cody Runnels. He is the son of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, mm-hmm. Dustin Runnels. Um, and so, but now WWE are dicks because the guy didn't want to resign and has gone off onto the Indies and New Japan and stuff like that. But he can only <laughs> wrestle under Cody. <laughs> so he's just Cody and he can't say Rhodes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, they're they're a fun loving bunch. 
that well that's all really stupid yes so continue from (laughs) from now on you're gonna be duncan duncan jared i guess but uh, i'll just say one more thing in the last few pay-per-views i was watching with you i was like man everyone's just got like real names like just plain regular ass names and that really sucks because i liked fun names like mysterio and vader and bam bam bigelow that's so Mm -hmm. much cooler than like brian daniel he sounds like an accountant yeah but uh, yeah, so anyways, I watched this Wrestling Road Diaries, and it's just like a, uh, I think it was these guys who were just touring around the U.S. of A, doing wrestling gigs, like in, uh, you know, high school gyms, mm-hmm. uh, German club halls, yep, uh, places like that, and uh, one of the wrestlers decided to just start filming it, uh, and I, that's the setup, baby, but yeah, I, it got big because the guy who would later go on to be the biggest wrestler in the world at one point, I believe for a, for a, for a, for a bit there. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So this was uh, when he was a young up and comer. So this was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I def- I would describe this as a boy's trip on tape because mm-hmm. uh, it's just the boys living the life of the road, man. Yeah. Uh, looking for babes, uh, staying out late and wrestling sweaty men, finding gyms. Is there like finding, th- finding food after shows and yeah. Yeah. Run, yeah run, so, running the merch table, doing autographs mm-hmm. with folk. Yeah. So, uh, I liked it. I thought it's, it's a, it's a really cool look at, I guess exactly what you were saying. Like the, what they do outside of the show, like running their own, selling their own t-shirts yeah. and just eating food and just being on the road driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely a boys movie, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, because there's like, it's it's funny the scenes that they decided to leave in. I guess they're character builders, mm. like the scene where they find uh, some hookers and a and a John picking up the hookers, and they just decide to film it, and they're like, Ooh, and they're like making fun of the hookers, and I was like, that's fun, that's a boys trip thing, <laughs> or uh, in uh, one scene you for which is included in the movie. Uh, it starts with the guy walking outside and with no shirt on, and he's like, I was told there was a, a hot Asian post lady out here. Uh, I was lied to. And then he walks back inside. Mm-hmm. End of scene. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's where that three-hour runtime comes from. But uh, you, get a, you get a lot of male bonding. It's not quite wild hogs, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, – yeah, no, that, it was uh, it was good. I mean, if you if you have any interest in that kind of thing or a behind the scenes look at stuff, it's uh, you probably like it. That's yeah. all I have to say about that. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, it's like definitely of like pro documentaries about pro wrestling. I definitely think it's one of the better ones that exist out there. Um, it's a very small list because a lot of stuff is just like mm, skippable. There's there's not a lot either, and even if anything's better than nothing. But yeah, it's definitely in the mm-hmm. up there. There's actually a Wrestling Road Diaries two and a Wrestling Road Diaries three, which I have not seen yet. Do they all star Colt Cabana? Yes, failed failed uh, wrestler. W uh, he's a he washed out of WWE, but I mean mm-hmm. that's like not necessarily a bad thing. Um, he seems to be pretty successful on his own, uh, doing his own. St- doing his own bookings and he's got his uh art of wrestling podcast he does where he brings on everybody um right. but yeah no he's like i don't know he, he's got a particular style i mean he does comedy stuff and um mm-hmm. as, as some uh wrestling uh sticks in the mud would say funny don't draw money uh yeah i i can see the logic there yeah but uh, i i probably won't watch those other ones yeah just because <laughs> just because stick it to you to stick it to the man 
But uh, you know what I followed that up with? What? Classic 80s film by uh, your favorite director, Jim Wynorski. Mm-hmm. So if anyone doesn't know, Jim Wynorski is a basically a softcore porn director <laughs> who made a lot of movies, right? He, he made a lot of different stuff. He's a He definitely falls in the exploitation genre of filmmaking. Yeah. A lot of uh, slumber party massacre, pool party murder yeah, things like, like that bikini uh, girls in horror yeah, movies i wouldn't say softcore porn i'd just throw tna tna yeah. yeah well i i was browsing through his catalog and there's some things on there yeah. that are he, i i don't he know i got to watch yeah. for myself well, in his latter days to make money he definitely yeah. uh, ventured into the the fleshier realm yeah so uh, the reason i watched this was because i was just like man i just want to watch something fun Fun, and uh, I remember there was a movie I watched during uh, Creeptober called Sorority House Massacre Two, <laughs> and I was like, to- I was totally surprised by it. I was like, man, that movie was fucking awesome. So I threw on this one, and it fell into my category of aliens, and it was called Not of This Earth, and it starred uh, fabled bikini girl Tracy Lords. I don't really know who that is, but apparently other people do. Mm. Now, this movie, now you're going to have to stick with me here because it's a pretty complicated plot, Jared. Okay. Vampires from outer space come to Earth to harvest tissue or blood of some sort, but they also like hookers and they like bikini babes. And there's something that happens that they want to do. And then it doesn't happen and nobody really notices. And that's about as much as I could take from it because I honestly, I was watching. I don't really know what the point was, but it's vampire aliens. So you get uh, this dude who's like killing hookers, stealing their blood, not before they do a, a big song and dance because Jim Wynorski likes naked girls dancing around. And that's pretty fun. Uh, you have some pretty good long butt scenes. I know you're you're a big fan of the long butt, mm. that classic '80s long butt. Uh, you have a really cool looking dude who's got long blonde hair and then like a dark black mustache and like glasses. I'm gonna put a picture out on the Instagram later. He was pretty fun looking. Why was he in this movie? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, this movie's not great. Yeah. So this I mean, is, this was a Tracy Lord's uh, feature film debut. Um, oh. did, did you know what she's famous for? <laughs> uh, Zach and Mary. Uh, she got in. A, I don't know. She got a lot of people in trouble because uh, when she was underage, she had a fake ID, and oh. she posed nude in numerous uh, and appeared in numerous pornographic films and magazines uh, for like two years before people figured out. Wait a minute, she's underage, <laughs> and so. Uh, Everyone had to like burn their shit because otherwise they'd be prosecuted for trafficking in child pornography. Classic. So yeah, she uh, she cost a lot of people some money. <laughs> oh well, I think she tried her best to make it back. Yeah, well, maybe no, not she, for them. I'm but sure. For yeah, her. For, for for herself she did okay, but for yeah. Uh, other people, yeah, that was a that was a scandal, RJ. That's why when all uh. those videos that you tell me to watch, they always have those warnings about how the uh, performers are of a particular age. Uh, yeah, but those ones for me, people are going to get weirded out. My, my age is set at 90 years old as a minimum. Right. So there's, there's a warning, but it's just because it's pretty, pretty shocking to see plus 100 or er, millennials, millennials, 
whatever centennials maybe that's a word doesn't matter uh anyways that joke went well um so yeah this movie is not great jerry yep uh it had an awesome like bumper in the uh like in the epilogue in like the the first thing i can't really talk the today prologue the prologue the, yeah there the was like bumper yeah in like the credits there was this like Mish, mishmash of uh, all these scenes and i was like oh man this movie looks fucking great yes. but i think what it was was it's a roger corman produced movie yeah so they recycled a lot of scenes from his other movies because i was gonna say callback i think there's a, a few shots of forbidden world in that mm. bumper and i thought maybe they just got recycled for this movie because this movie is about aliens too but uh, they never showed up so uh that was a little disappointing uh, I wouldn't recommend this to almost anyone unless you were looking for bikini babes. Uh, and then there's a there's a few funny things. Like there's a car chase at the end and then there's a bunch of stuff just like piled up in the middle of the street. So the cars purposely hit it. But it's like stuff that wouldn't be in the middle of the street. Like there's four post uh, uh, mailboxes on posts and they're all in a, a row and they're just like right in the street. And it's like, what is that even? It's like, why are they even there? They're not like nailed down or anything. They're just standing on posts in the middle of the street so that was cool and then uh at the end they like kill the bad guy and they they show this by standing over his grave like his tombstone and in his tombstone it's engraved like here lies a man not of this earth and it's like why would they go to the trouble to do like doing that for him because they obviously did that right yeah like they they would have paid to have had his tombstone engraved (laughs) Oh, the, the, and then, the, 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 the production team uh, paid a uh, prop maker to make that, I guess. To make that, yeah. yeah. And then there's there's one more scene, and then it ends with a uh, one of those classic. It's like the end, and then a question mark yeah. comes floats down. So uh, that was pretty fun. I had fun watching it, but uh, I don't think anyone else would like it. Yep, that sounds like so, something I will probably continue to avoid in my life. But thanks, RJ, might, for doing the, yeah. the legwork. You might watch it with the boys one day. No. I could see that. No? No. You watch real bad movies? Uh, Yeah, there's like, it's got to have something, like real uh, possibilities. I mean, if I know it's like not going to be good, it's kind of a tough sell. But if it's like, I know this is going to be like amazingly bad or like, like yeah. there's something like not talked about enough to like really experience mm-hmm. it. This is just like, yeah. Jim Wynorski and I, I don't think we'll click too much. That's though, horror. Uh, though, though I do have a, one of his movies, uh, Deathstalker Two. Uh, that 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 is on my uh, watch list, I guess. Hey, hey, Jared, I have to stop you. The biggest fucking spider I have ever seen is on the wall in front of me, and if I don't kill it, it will eat me tonight. Okay. So just hold on. We're gonna record this. We'll see what uh how RJ handles this. Okay, he's left the room. <laughs> I guess the podcast is over. Um. Yeah. He just he just fled. Oh. Oh, he's got it. <laughs> oh, look, Hazel. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a coward. <laughs> wow. Well, um, this is just me feeling dead air. Uh, RJ gingerly, femininely oh, comes back into the room. Um... Yep, he seems like his hair is still standing on end. Oh, he's taking the cat out of the room and uh, closing the door behind him. I think we're back in business here. Oh, oh man.
Okay. I got him. You get that sorted? Oh, yeah. That was a really big spider, dude. Okay. It was like this big. People at home don't know. It was big. It looks like the size of a human head, RJ. <sighs> Could bite your head off, man. That's how big that fucker was. That's pretty big. Oh, man. What were we talking about? Butts uh, or dumps? Uh, or? You, you just finished talking not of this earth. Oh, okay. Uh, so then I, I, I watched a real movie. Okay. Uh, I watched Captain Fantastic from last year. Do you know this one? Uh, yes. I remember uh, thinking about going to see this movie and then yep. watching the trailer and going, Ugh. and I, it, I, it didn't seem like it would be something I'd like. So I did not go see it, but continue. I don't, I don't think it would, I think you would like parts of it, but mm-hmm. on the whole, I don't think you would, you'd get much out of it. Yeah. On paper, this movie sounded like really good, but then I saw the actual trailer yep. and it just like, Sometimes the trailers for this type of story play come off as more cloying than maybe they actually are. But right, I don't know. Yeah. So I watched this. Uh, me and Andrea were just she she was like put something on, and I had this, and I was like, well, I've been meaning to watch this for a while. It's kind of like a comedy drama. It's kind of thing she would like, and it's got Big Vigo in it, man. Mm-hmm. His uh, triumphant return. He hasn't acted in anything in like ten years. You know what he was doing? Um something i don't know <laughs> he, he uh he yeah not a joke seriously he uh he uh took a break to raise his kids oh what a nice guy hey it's like rick moranis oh no people just don't care about rick moranis anymore oh and, and his dead wife yeah and raising his children on his own yeah well he's got that ghostbusters money he can afford oh, a nanny oh people want rick moranis so bad but he doesn't do yeah. any of that shit yeah that's true but yeah, so that's uh that was a story I heard and I was like, Oh, that's neat. So I guess him and Rick Moranis are just cool dudes taking care of the kids, man. Mm-hmm. But uh Big Vigo got a best actor nom for this, which is fitting. He's very good in it. Mm-hmm. Um so this movie uh is about a dad who he's a single dad and he's got uh six kids that he is raising out in the woods mm-hmm. and he's kind of like an anti establishment. Yeah. Down, down with the man kind of guy. like a sovereign citizen. A sovereign citizen, yeah. Uh, Noam Chomsky is like his hero. And uh, he teaches the kids like in the morning, like physical activity, like hunting and extreme sports like rock climbing to keep their bodies in peak condition. And then at night, he teaches them things like M-theory and like quantum physics and like uh, all this very intelligent smarty brainy stuff those are the words i'm gonna use smarty brainy stuff yeah so these kids are like super smart and they are very fit (laughs) and what happens is their mom had to leave because she had mental illness and uh she dies and then it turns into a road trip movie her him and the kids are on the road and they've not they haven't really like they kind of go to a small town that's close to the woods, but they've never really interacted with um, other people, not like common people, modern people is the word I'm looking for. So it's kind of a uh, fish out of water story with all these kids. Um, now I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. Uh, I think Andrea hit it on the head. Uh, she was like, this really glamorizes like hippie life. She's like, I don't think it would be like that. And I was like, no, you're right. It would it would most likely be like Honey Boo Boo eating roadkill. And, <laughs> you know, just like all, all, all the kids are like 
banging each other because they're living out in the woods and it would be really gross. But uh, <laughs> so they kind of they paint a they paint a nice picture. It's like, yeah, if if they could, if that's what would actually happen, everybody should do that because they were like uh, super intelligent, beautiful, strong young children. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how earnest it would actually play out. So um, uh, this movie is pretty good. Like it has some nice moments. It's there's some funny stuff. There's some sad stuff. Uh, Big Vigo is wicked good. Uh, Frank Langella popped up, which I was surprised by. I was like, "Oh shit, Frank Langella back from the uh, Dracula's Castle," and uh, so <laughs> that was fun. Role. His only role ever. Um, yeah, and then I saw at the end this was written and directed by Matt Ross. And do you know him? Uh, not off the top of my head. You ever seen Silicon Valley? Uh, I watched the first couple episodes. He's the like the bad guy, the leader of like their Google. Okay. You ever seen American Psycho? Yeah. You know when Christian Bale sees that guy in the bathroom and the guy thinks he's like coming on to him? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think he, he directed it too. Hmm. I think. Uh, but anyways, I've heard stories about this guy. Like he's not like an actor in a ton of stuff, but I think he's really well uh, regarded in like Hollywood. Yeah, so, no. That... Like other actors like are really into him or something. Hmm. I don't know. Matt or they think Ross. he's a cool dude. Wow. Because he, he, he has a really big pop uh, like reputation, but he's not really he's not in a ton of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about him. Maybe he's just super fun to hang out with. He was on that in that big love. Oh, yeah. Well, there or, you go. Or somehow involved with big love. Somehow. No but uh, no. Yeah, I, I like this movie. I thought it was good. I don't. I don't think you would hate it, but I don't think you would like it either. Mm. So I, I'd say to watch it, but don't go out of your way because for I'm, I'm talking directly to you, not to other people. I think other people would probably really like it, but I know you, you're a monster. Yes. You don't like anything. This is very true. So yeah, I don't, uh, I think you're probably happy you didn't see it in the theater because it is two hours like on the, on the nose, I think. So you would have been like, man, I wasted a lot of time here. Twiddling my thumbs. Yeah. So uh, that's it. I watched what a motley crew of movies: Road Diaries, <sighs> Alien Boob movies, and uh, Wilderness People. You do see Viggo Mortensen's uh, dong. Oh yeah. So that's pretty neat. Hanging dong. Hanging dong, swinging low, sweet chariot. Great. Yes. Um, speaking of motley crews, uh, I only oh. watched like two movies. Uh, this week and one was like late last night and the other one was like the uh, night after we recorded our last episode and then I just kind of went dark there for a while didn't watch jack shit um and both these films are shot on video films Uh um by people you've never heard of Uh uh-huh uh the first one is called scary tales uh the thing that links both of these is they're both released by bleeding skull video uh what's that they are a vi- kind of a company that's on the bleeding edge of uh, digging through VHS tapes and finding undiscovered and like forgotten classics that are just lingering on video. They'll go through every tape and just watch stuff, trying to find things that are like of note. Uh, and they've released like seven movies up to this point. Sometimes they just release stuff on VHS. Sometimes they release it on VHS and DVD. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just on DVD, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they've, they're about 50-50 for me. 
Half the time, mm-hmm. I really like what they're putting out, and other times it's just like, oh, there's, there's like nothing special or interesting about this. But uh, it's always worth the gamble because you never know. Uh, so these are mm-hmm. two that I got a couple months ago and hadn't got around to watching yet. Uh, Scary Tales, it's like a horror anthology from 1993, just shot like involving like, I don't know, a group of friends with like a camcorder. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like a horror anthology with different stories, like a guy turning into a demon, um, another story about like a guy, a man who basically is suspicious his wife's cheating on him, finds out she is, and he just becomes like a slasher killer. And it's just like, set up after setup of him like killing people um, there's one where a guy works at burger king but his passion's really hentai and he just like stalks a, a lonely comic book store clerk and follows him home and makes his own hentai right right with, with okay. like with this with a giant squid he bought from uh asian supermarket um yep. so nice. it's all like yeah it is all handmade crafts and like uh very practical effects uh but they're like really i don't know which uh totally win me over whenever i see practical effects even like mm-hmm. this is pretty ambitious for like this something that has a budget of like you know a few hundred dollars yeah um my favorite story is like these guys all working in an office and the one guy's like i just can't get to level 21 on this video game i'm playing on my computer <laughs> and he's obsessed with it he's ignoring his children he's this like mm-hmm. big husky guy um <laughs> And it's like, they're all the same actors, like playing all these different characters in every single one of these stories, which are all hosted by like a Crypt Keeper-like skeleton figure with glowy eyes. Nice. You you can barely see, and you can barely make out as he tells the children. Because all these children are just gathered around this like skeleton man telling them bedtime stories, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the story is like the guy playing the computer game, he just can't get ahead, some like snivelly creep that works in the office makes him comment I've been to level 21 <laughs> with that sort of level of acting mm-hmm. um, and then he does manage to get to level 21 where he gets sucked into the game which is oh, just like nice. which is just like you know a park and mm-hmm. it's it's this guy now wearing like a t-shirt sweatpants and like sandals and wearing like bad like Roman Coliseum uh, guard like plastic costuming and now he's like in this world where he has to fight for real for his life and fight the mm-hmm. evil sorcerer who is actually the snivelly uh co-worker from his office job oh man yeah so that sounds awesome it's, it's yeah it's it's badass uh no i don't know this is like definitely mm, not criterion level filmmaking or anything like that or but i don't know i love this stuff uh I find it so much more watchable than a lot of other stuff. Uh, I love video. I love the sound of video, the warmth of video. Um, mm. I don't know. It seems like the people making this stuff are way more invested in what they're making than what professional filmmakers are often doing. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. After, after watching some disappointing stuff, coming down to earth to some shot on video stuff is always a, it makes me feel warm inside RJ. I could make you feel warm inside. Jesus. Um, and then <laughs> late last night, I was like, or actually, no, it was this morning. This morning, I woke up and I was Jesus, like, I, I got to watch another movie. I can't just talk about mm-hmm. one thing. So I popped in Blonde Death, uh, which is another uh, Bleeding Skull release. This one's from 1984. And it's kind of like occupies a space of Badlands and Heathers. 
Um, okay. Just okay. Shot on video. It's just the story about this like family. It's like moved from Missouri to Los Angeles in like Orange County, and uh, it's just like weird and kind of gross. Like it's like the girl living with her father, who's like got who's married to the the bitch stepmom, and yeah. but it's like pretty skeevy there's like i don't know the dad like turns on a dime from being this like real happy-go-lucky guy to being a real like sadistic bullying asshole who also seems to like want to rape his daughter uh um, yeah it's 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 something but it, it's, but it's like it's like played like a black comedy um it oh. resembles like um kind of like john waters movies um I don't know. I I don't know. These movies always sort of also seem to be also super quotable. Like people like they just mm-hmm. the lines like no one's like thinking about lines over again. They just think that sounds cool. So they just write these lines down and pop them in and uh it doesn't sound like anything any human being would ever say, but it seems to work in the like in movies. And so if you're going to go for broke and just make this ridiculous movie, you might as well just like mm-hmm. make it memorable. Um, so yeah, that's what we do with this show. That's right. So this poor girl, uh, yeah, her dad goes on some like trip to Saudi Arabia for three weeks, leaving her with her shitty stepmom who wants to send her pack into like a, like Christian camp for like nine weeks just so she can like cheat on her new husband. Um, and then one thing leads to another and some maniac, guy just who's broken out of Folsom prison shows up back at the house that like where his girlfriend used to live um and they wind up hooking up and making making love on the beach and in bed lots of grinding and pumping and what have you uh and then a lot of people get hurt in the process because it's like lovers on the run but they never actually go on the run they just like hang out in this house a lot (laughs) Um, and then an even crazier guy shows up and yeah, people just get shot and, uh, people make out, people swear and say ridiculous things. There's a, uh, lesbian with an eye patch. Oh, Um, sweet. Is she a pirate? No, she's just, uh, a man hating dyke, uh, is is the nomenclature would go. Is that popular nomenclature or is that your Uh, own title? It was in 1984. It was definitely in uh, 1984, uh, acceptable. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I dug these movies. <laughs> you, oh, so you you liked the second one too? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, okay. I, 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 I enjoyed Blown Death a lot. Uh, I, I don't know. It's like if this movie had like better production values and all that fun stuff, it, I'm sure people would love it. But probably mm-hmm. very few people watched it because it was sh- straight to video, shot on video. Who gives a crap? But yeah. in, in this day and age, RJ, with uh, the way that movies are manufactured, uh, something like this, is it's a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. That's right. More like a breast of fresh ass. Wow. Is it? I'm trying to, that's like a line you would hear in that movie, right? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're tapping into it. Oh, I try. I think yeah. I could write an 80s uh, shot on video movie. You absolutely could. Yeah. Um, well, anyway. That's what I uh, watched. Uh, hey, RJ, what new, what news do you bring? News? I got some motherfucking news for you, dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this movie news? No. Is this related to Criterion in any way? No. But I'm going to talk about it, damn it, because I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there was grumblings of it last week, but now it's official. Roseanne is coming back to TV. Next for year. A, next year for a limited eight episode run now i am um, i find this problematic 
I am equal parts overjoyed, equal parts absolutely terrified and trepidatious because I don't know. I think I've maybe let it slip once or twice. Roseanne is probably my favorite TV show ever. Maybe it's up there. It's top three for sure. Uh, I love Roseanne. I identified with it as a kid. I was like, man, she really gets it. Uh, I think it has one of the best endings of any TV show ever. So that's why I'm a little bit scared of this new one, because I feel like whatever they're going to do is going to in some way undermine the way that she ended the Mm. series. Uh, And if anyone's not aware, just go watch Roseanne. You can buy it for $50 on DVD. (laughs) You're going to get a lot out of life and you're probably going to be a better person on the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the ending is amazing, and I don't really know why or what you would do from there because they say everyone's coming back, mm-hmm. but uh, there's certain characters that probably shouldn't. Well, apparently, like two Beckys are coming back too. Yeah, well, there were two Beckys, right? Yeah. So there was the original Becky, and then she left to do like to go to college, and then uh, Sarah Chalk from Scrubs, she came in to fill the Becky role for a while, like two, three seasons, and then the other girl came back. Uh, so I, from what I understand, the original Becky will be Becky, and then uh, Sarah Chalk, Becky number two, will have a different role. Um, now, I follow Roseanne pretty closely. Uh, she had talked about something about if if there ever went back to the show, she, certain things she would do. Uh, she like somewhat not off the record, but like off the cuff mm-hmm. in an interview once she like uh, let loose what would happen with certain characters. So I remember she was saying that DJ would go to the Iraq war and he would die. So that's her son. So it's like, so, but he's in a picture. He's obviously coming back. Mm -hmm. So maybe they strong armed her into stuff. Uh, And John Goodman, I mean, I don't really know what role he's going to play. I love him, but uh, spoiler, he dies. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. Like, I guess they're kind of like, what do you call this a soft reboot a retcon a retcon which that's what i mean like i love that it's coming back but i've oh i've defended this countless times over the years not even defended it no one's argued against me no one's watched roseanne as much as i have so like i have no one to argue with but it's it's just i've always said that ending of roseanne is the best so i don't really know what this means um, so are yeah. you excited? Are you as excited as I am? No, I, I don't, I don't care at all. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, yeah, I, um, Roseanne was never really a show I liked particularly, uh, growing oh, you're up. Suck. I, it, it wasn't a cartoon. Like, honestly, uh, that, that's kind of what it came down to. Um, outside of like the, uh, TGIF, uh, bracket mm-hmm. of shows. And then like, and like by the time I would have been like of an age to care about Roseanne, I was yeah. probably like watching Seinfeld. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I, I, I don't mind Roseanne, um, but it seems like when, whenever I've caught like repeats and mm-hmm. stuff like that, when it was in syndication for years and years, it was never like my favorite thing. It was always just kind of sure. on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I knew who Darlene was to see her and that Galecki, uh, you that Galecki kid and stuff yeah. like that. Like I've seen all the people. I knew it was, it was always like, whoa, it's so uh, actually the weirdest thing I found about it was like this, uh, like this John Goodman guy. I'm like, he's like, yeah. he's in real movies. Like that was like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what's this real guy in movies like doing on TV all the time? That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like that, uh, he's a busy man. Like I even like yep. at that point, I thought that was strange. And then I remember uh, being very much more confused when I saw like she devils on TV, mm-hmm. um, which is not a good movie. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I have, I don't care about this. Uh, I'd have to actually watch Roseanne from like start to finish. Uh, and like feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know if Roseanne feels something to feel something about this. I'd, I'd have to like, I don't know, care, I guess, suppose. Then yeah. no, actually know if it's funny to like say, yes, this is really good or not. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was, I'd have is your word. Um, and I don't know if you're, you ironically love Roseanne. Uh, if it's like this, like hipster millennial thing that you're like, you really, oh, into come Ro- on. you're really into Roseanne or not. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, <laughs> can I, I'll, I'm going to be straight with you for one, just once Roseanne is genuinely good. I don't like it for hipster millennial reason. I've never even heard of other people talk about Roseanne. So if and if there is a hipster movement where there's fan like the uprising of Roseanne fans, fuck them. They don't have the attachment I have to it. But so. that's what they'll say about you too, because because <sighs> they, they were there first. Don't worry, that Roseanne merch is going to come rolling out. Everyone's going to get their yeah. T-shirts. There, it's like oh, it's like the Golden Girls and shit. Like people really mm-hmm. people like to get into stuff, and I'm like. Was Golden Girls actually a good show? Probably. So no. uh, this is what I'll say in Roseanne's defense is, yes, it was a good show. Uh, it tackled some pretty hard-hitting issues. Uh, it, it went after all the things they weren't allowed to show. Uh, homosexuality, wife beating, things like that. Tom Arnold. Well, okay, things, fuck wife things beating. Normal people Fucking, wouldn't allow one. Have you ever shows. heard of a show called The Honeymooners? <laughs> yeah, but that was just suggested. Well, and Roseanne, Jackie got beat up all the time. And you know what? Dan went over there and he throttled that motherfucker. And he was like, you know what? You ever hit Jackie again? That I'm was John Goodman. And you know I'll why? Because that, that was sweeps week. And they wanted to get that yeah. that, that big uh, bump, pump up in the uh, ratings. Well, that, whatever. They, they went after it. You know, uh, did you know John TV, Goodman man. was nominated for like eight Emmys for I, Roseanne? I think, I think you might have mentioned it a few times on his very podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and RJ, yeah. did you know, I don't know if you've heard this, that uh, Roseanne uh, created the Halloween special? <laughs> yeah, she fucking did. She did, all right? Okay. Uh, anyway, no, I, I don't, I have no stake in this. In uh, uh, speaking of uh, revival news, uh, did you see that Arrested Development is getting a season five? Yeah, well, I my hopes were completely shattered from season four, so I have, you know, yeah, I'll cr- watch them. You know what's crazy? It's already been four years since Arrested Development debuted season four. Jeez. It's like well, four years, like, it doesn't feel like four years, and here we are. And you remember that Fuller House? Remember that? Remember when everyone suddenly gave a shit about that's Full actually, House? I think that has pretty strong uh, viewership on Netflix. Yeah, because people are dumb. Because Full House sucked. Yeah. It's a piece of shit. Yeah, it did. And this new one, I'm sure, does too. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. People like to get into things. And then they're like, oh, I can't believe it. And it's like, no, you don't like this thing, really. Well, anyway, was, I don't know. I, I, I'm we'll not, I, I'm, I'm pa- like 100% certain that Roseanne is definitely a better show than Full House. Um, and it's probably yeah. a good show. And I do like all the things you kind of listed. Like, I like the idea of it, like being about this working class family. And but it's like a real working class family, not like fake TV working class family. They actually worry about bills and things are based around, hey, not having enough money for a month. And like poor people humor. Mm-hmm. Gal- kind of like almost like like class based um uh, gallows humor so yeah exactly like, all those are winning factors but i mean i can't say i'm excited because i never watched the show really i, I don't have an investment uh, in it um but hey, well, we're I, a week away yeah. from that twin peaks and i'm all about that so we'll see i'm, I'm, I'm prepared uh, i hate i'm a so i am a big david lynch fan yes I mean, he's he's like my fave five he's up there Uh-oh. uh but i am cautious i'm cautious so 
And that's well, something I really am interested to see play out. So I don't know. Well, David Lynch is 75 or 80 <laughs> or 90 or whatever. So and, we'll and, see and, what he and, can do. And the leader of the transcendental meditation movement in America. So it's like, I, that has nothing to do with making something. So yeah. we'll see how that plays well, out. We'll see. You I, you have your fingers crossed for Twin Peaks. I'll have mine crossed for Roseanne. That, exactly. Okay. Do you have any news? I do. It's uh, that time of the month, RJ, and Criterion Ugh. has released. Yeah, it's all over the place. Uh, plug it up. Uh, oh, Jared. They've got no. uh, their August releases uh, out there now. Uh, yeah. A little film called The Breaking Point, directed mm-hmm. by Michael Curtis from 1950. Uh, it sounds like it's a thriller, kind of a noir I'm not familiar with this movie at all. Uh, hmm. Michael Curtis brings a master skipper's hand to the helm of this thriller, which stars John Garfield Ew. as an honest charter boat captain who, facing hard times, takes on dangerous cargo to save his boat, support his family, and preserve his dignity. Sounds like uh, Wages of Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film called Meantime, directed by old Mike Lee uh, from 1984. A slow-burning depiction of economic degradation in Thatcher's England, Mike Lee's Meantime was the culmination of the writer-director's pioneering work in television and became his breakthrough theatrical release. Hey, do you think that dangerous cargo from the first movie you talked about, do you think that's like radioactive stuff or like like a huge gorilla? Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out in both, 10 years. Both. Uh, oh, radioactive gorilla? Mm-hmm. Shit. Uh, Hopscotch, directed by Ron Neem from 1980. This inimitable comic team of Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson star in this nimble tale of international intrigue from master British filmmaker Ronald Neeb. It looks zany. I and, guess. And Walter Matthau, he, and see, he, he's like, he's in that, uh, John Goodman camp of like all time greats. I mean, I guess if Walter Matthau plays the radioactive gorilla, then that, then that first movie will be good. Damn. Right. Well, I don't think that's the case. So I think we've been robbed here. Uh, it's probably Jack Lemon. I like I like this cover. It's like kind of illustrative. Uh, it's called La Poison. It's from uh, director Sasha Galtry. The writer, actor, and director Sasha Galtry emerged from the theater to become one of France's best known and most inventive filmmakers. And La Poison marked his first collaboration with another titan of the screen, the incomparable, expressive Michel Simon. Uh, that's not much of a plot synopsis. <laughs> That sounds like that uh, movie directed by Sasha Gray, The Poisonous, <laughs> or whatever. You know the ones. No. Uh, and finally, RJ, uh, uh, a certain movie that we've already talked about on the Criterion mm-hmm. Creeps ha- is getting re-released on Blu-ray, and that is mm-hmm. a little film called Sid and Nancy. You you know what that should be re-released on? Toilet Ray. <laughs> oh, sweet joke. That movie sucks. Why would they re-release it? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that was a surprise. I didn't think that one was coming. Um, well, whatever. Uh, it'll be a better version that exists currently, which is like uh, an MGM DV Blu-ray that got dumped out. Maybe it'll uh, really help. It's a 4K digital restoration with uncompressed uh, stereo soundtrack on the Blu-ray. You've got to pre- preserve that uh, that uh, Roger Deakins uh, cinematography. Yeah. But I, th- I feel like the restoration would way, be way better u- utilized in like a Fishing with John Blu-ray. That's mm. what people – that's what they need. People don't know that they need that, but that's what people need. Mm-hmm. Not this Sid and Nancy. People just think they like Sid and Nancy. 
Yep. Uh, I think a lot of people, yeah, it's probably been a long time since people watched it and Nancy because Alex Cox isn't really in the conversation about movies anymore. Like, no one talks no. about Alex Cox other than um, Repo Man. Sure. But is uh, that any good even? Repo Man? I'd have to rewatch it again. I think it's better. Well, we will, than, I probably, guess. Yeah, yeah, one day. Uh, and then finally, uh, finally, finally, uh, that Othello directed by Orson Welles, it got delayed. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be out this month, and I didn't know that. And I was wondering why my uh, pre-order with Amazon got like pushed to like mm-hmm. never coming out. I'm like, oh, now it's not out till September. So that's weird. Stuff happens, I guess. I hadn't heard anything about it because maybe no one cares about Orson Welles. I think what really happened is you, you're just a, a flagrant bald-faced liar and you made up that you ordered it a while ago and now you're getting caught on your lie. But on the upside, Good Morning from uh, Ozu's coming out on Blu-ray. Pretty stoked about that. And right. Ghost World on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Magnifique. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess on a more personal uh, note of news, uh, you sent me an excited uh, message the other day about how uh, – your uh, your friend Stephen King is going to be passing ah. within the radius of uh, us, just down down stateside in America. He, he's going to big sky, uh, big the big sky skate skate, big sky state Montana. It's about a five hour drive down to Missoula. I'm going. If you want to come, baby, you're welcome to come. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Missoula is the rape capital of the USA. <laughs> so uh, I guess the guy who wrote uh, the book Friday Night Lights, he wrote a book about Missoula because it's only got like 30,000 people, I think. But uh, it's ruled by like university Rapists. athletes. Yeah. And they just rape people all over, apparently. I don't know. Um, me and Scott went there to see a Modest Mouse concert like two years ago and it was right when that guy's book came out about the rape and we were like oh my god we didn't feel very safe to be honest and uh, the show was littered with all these very rapey people so hmm. I believe it the hype is real was, was but there a uh, lot of uh, daps and uh, I think, fist bumps no it was before the dab yeah it was like two three years ago but oh. uh um, yeah, you better believe I'm going to this fucking book tour. I don't know if there's tickets or how you get to it, but I'm there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw, but uh, son Owen King is uh, hopping on, hopping on, and going on the tour with him. It's to promote a book they did together. Uh, apparently, because uh, Owen is has no shame, not like <laughs> Joe Hill. He's totally willing to ride on that uh, King fame. Those coattails. Yeah. Well, I guess his books suck. I guess they're all about like, see, I would be the the market for it too because I guess his books are all about like aliens and shit like that. Yep. So it's like Stephen King's son writing an alien book. Sign me up. But uh, I've heard nothing but disappointments in all things <laughs> Owen King. So, oh. is, are, are, are you saying that or is that Stephen King? Oh, that might be Steve. Yeah. I think he tweeted something like that once. <laughs> I've had, nothing, uh, I've had nothing but disappointment with my own son. <laughs> with my son, Owen. Yeah. Uh, are you coming or what? We're going to go see that fucker. Oh, man. Ten-hour round trip to mom. Well, you're not going to do it in a day. You would drive down and stay overnight and then come back the next day or something. Mm. We could get donuts on the way. Mm. And then you can slap your screenplay down on, Steve, yeah. on Steve's d- table and be like, there you go, Steve. <laughs> huh? Right that, baby. Yep. That's how that's how things happen. No one no one ever no one ever does that. <laughs> Isn't that what fucking Mick Garris did? Probably. And see, look, he went on with an illustrious career of TV uh, movies that are basically garbage. Yeah. 
Uh, a career of mediocrity. Wait, well, what else are we shooting for other than that? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, I think, essentially what this is, is a celebration of mediocrity. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, is that her? I guess, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Mm, no, I think that's it. I think we've got a, our main event to proceed on to. Some people call me the main event. Yeah. And they'd be Sometimes. wrong. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, well, after the break, we're going to be talking about that Brazil from that guy, Terry Gilliam, that was made in 1985. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's going to be a brain-crashing good time. Mm. You better st- stick up to those words when I tear this movie apart. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits. Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro. I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Catherine Hellman and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil, it's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid. 
And we're back. And we're talking about Brazil, directed by Terry Gilliam from 1985. So this is a film that is set somewhere in the 20th century. Uh, it, it starts at about 8.49 p.m. Uh, it's Christmas time. Uh, we're in a garish neon future. Uh, some describe as a retro future. Uh, and this is a story about a man named Sam Lowry. And uh, him living in a sort of like world that is a just like a bureaucratic nightmare, uh, not dissimilar from that of 1984, um, but probably a little bit mm, sillier. It's a slapstick version of George Orwell's 1984. Right. Um, so this is a story about a man very un- un- without much ambition, um, and he works for the Ministry of Records, and mm-hmm. he's very good at his job, but he just kind of wants to have this very easy job that he's kind of mastered. He's learned everything that there needs to be. People can rely on him. He can f- kind of feel like he has a sense of place in that regard. Uh, but he doesn't really want to go anywhere from that point. Uh, much to the chagrin of his mother, who is uh, kind of like part of the higher like status within the society. Socialites. Yeah, socialite within this weird like kind of mishmash of like, I don't know, like this fascist sort of government that's taken power. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she wants him to move ahead. So I don't know, for status, for those obvious sort of things. And he doesn't want anything to do with that. He just wants to have time to dream, daydream about uh, a fantasy life. And that's all he kind of wants. And then one day he actually sees uh, the woman from his dreams that he's been having, him being this sort of like fantasy angel figure, battling demons and monsters, shit like that. Um, and to save this woman, this damsel in distress, who he actually gets to see in real life. Um, this is all a result of a clerical error that happens within this bureaucratic world uh, involving a fly falling into a typewriter where uh, a man's name of Harry Tuttle, uh, it changes to from Tuttle to Buttle. And so the wrong man, uh, Harry Buttle, is... Uh, redacted or deducted. <laughs> he gets black bagged, taken away by a menacing SWAT team and questioned and in the process dies. And this creates a problem within the system, which is supposedly going to be infallible uh, and probably uh, spreads the word that it's like, it's perfect and there's no problems with it. Uh, now they've made a mistake all because of one little mistake. And um, so Sam Lowry kind of gets involved with this and uh, trying to fix this mistake to keep the system running and going. And uh, this kind of collides with the story with the girl uh, that he's trying to find her name because she's the girl from his dream. And uh, Robert De Niro <laughs> appears. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he So that he, he is the actual Harry Tuttle that the government is looking for because he's sort of a... I guess someone would argue a terrorist, but it's what it is, is. He's like, but he's like a terrorist to the system. This idea that the system works in a particular way, everything has to be ordered and uh, things have to be done with the proper forms and permissions. He's just like, no, nah, you can just get things fixed really easily. And so his thing is like, he kind of throws like, I guess the wrench in the works. He's mm-hmm. a disruptor. He's a, um, what would be the word for it? A subversive. Um, and so now we, we get to watch this movie of Sam Lowry, who is an unambitionless man, turn into one of some ambition, even if it's kind of at times misguided, uh, and like mistimed. Um, yeah. And we get to see sort of this dark world play out uh, this against this backdrop of like amazing production 
and like set design mm-hmm. and art design. Um, and just like this, the ridiculous imagination of Terry Gilliam to make a movie this like large in scope. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I love this movie. I watched this movie years ago on the, there's like the three disc DVD set that this came out on back in like, I guess like the late nineties, two thousands, my buddy, Corey, he bought this, loved this movie, always talked it up. I borrowed it from him. I also fell in love with this movie mm-hmm. and just like, I love the story. Um, it's like, just like, I don't know. It's a very romantic story and also a very dark and depressing story, which is refreshing for like mm-hmm. this sort of thing. I guess at one point it was, maybe now everything's got kind of downbeat endings, uh, which I think kind of drives people crazy these days. But here it's like so good uh, and like, just like unnerving and affecting. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's been, a, it's actually been a long time since I've seen Brazil. Um, uh, I had upgraded my three disc DVD that was like non-anamorphic. It looked like crap to the Blu-ray and hadn't watched it yet. So dusted it off for this show and watched it. And I still love this movie a whole bunch. It's not a perfect movie. Um, I, I, there's like things like if it, it, it is like, it's like two and a half hours long. You can't just uh-huh. you can't just breeze through it any old time. Uh, it could have. I mean, it's imperfect, but I think there's so much good stuff in here that I don't mm-hmm. know. I wouldn't want to take it out, uh, which is something we'll talk about because uh, one particular producer at Universal, when they went to distribute this film, wanted to chunk out about forty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally love this movie it's like one of the best movies criterion's ever done um actually i think the there's the one list i saw in letterboxd it's like they compiled all of like those like top 10 movies from directors like for like what their top 10 criterions are and i right. think uh uh weighing everything brazil's number one uh mm-hmm. when everyone just talks about this movie and i think uh for a, for a, someone wanting to be a director or a filmmaker like i don't know how you couldn't love this movie it should be like everything people aim for in making movies. Um, Cause it's got this kind of, it's a story told inventively, unlike other stuff. Uh, it's like building on like stuff we saw in time bandits uh, as far as just like visual flair and like the tone and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam's all in place there. This is him kind of r- working at his, like probably uh, most like kind of still close to the, world that he was kind of doing in time bandits and like the Monty Python sort of sensibilities. Cause like there's a very, it's a very different Terry Gilliam that starts making movies like 12 monkeys and fear and loathing in Las Vegas in the nineties. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I think this might be his best movie, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's how I feel about this movie. Not going too much into my notes right now, but RJ, how do you Yo. feel about that Brazil? Uh, Brazil sucks. <laughs> Nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, this movie rules with a Z. Uh, it's super good. Um, two Zs, actually. Whoa. Because there's one in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, this movie fucking rocks for all the reasons you said. And that's my review. Wow. And no, um, no, I like it for a lot of the same reasons, like what you said, art and set design and uh, the... Um, just the kind of image, like his imagination, what he puts down, like things that I wouldn't really think about. But once you see them, it's like it seems obvious. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like I never thought of that. But it's so it's right there. It's like, well, how could you not have? It's, it's just right there. So I think that's 
like a really special thing that he does. Is there anything in particular um, that you're thinking of when you say I'm that? thinking, yeah, like the baby demons oh, when, yeah. when he's daydreaming. And th- so they're like really spiny and they have like the really thin cloth on them and they got those long necks and then they have the, the baby faces. So he kind of does that in time bandits too, with like yes. the birds. Yes. The bird, they're the, like the, the weird the bird faces or the, their skulls or they're like bull skulls. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, the skulls. So it's I think very like, similar and they're in shrouds. I think, yeah, yeah that's exactly. like, a, I mean, that's like very, um, I think drawing on like that art history. Cause like when I think of like yeah. Go- Goya drawings, I think of like these like weird, like multiple figures and they're in shrouds and like, mm-hmm. it's like such a simple thing. It's like, well, I don't want to have to like, have to like produce like this undercarriage of what these things look like. So you, you drape them and hide them. So it's like, you, oh, it's just a guy wearing like with some poles inside mm-hmm. and you, you can disguise a lot by doing that. But it also, I don't know. It's definitely a thing that like i think a lot of people have been influenced by like people rip off that now all the time oh yeah like how to make yep. minions and you have them like all like stupid oh. over and stuff like that but like brazil when yep. they do it you're like it's really exciting and it seems mm-hmm. fresh and like the baby faces which is like um which i always found interesting because like it turns out oh no that's exactly what uh michael palin mm-hmm. like what jack lint wears during mm-hmm. the interrogations is the, that exact baby mask which is like so is that something that like he just happened to dream upon and came across in his mind or is so- that yeah, I thought about that because like he is in his office and he sees the mask at one point, but it's after he dreams about it. So the way I interpreted it was that he is aware of what goes on in there and he's seen maybe he's seen the mask before mm-hmm. because like because I, I thought the same thing because when I saw it uh, or when I watched because this was a rewatch for me yeah. when I saw the demons in the daydream, I was like, oh, it's I was like, I didn't piece it together last time. Maybe I did. I just forgot that uh, that's what it turns out to be later on. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching for it. And then when he goes to the office, he sees it. So it could be that maybe like it could be that he knows kind of how it works, because that's another thing that's really great about this movie is uh, I think like the obvious 1984-esque stuff uh, or the style with the bureaucracy and then the people who are just kind of complicit with like the terrorist attack and how the government is run because like you just kind of have to be. So like, I, I think maybe that's part of it is like everyone, like, you know what I mean? Like everyone's just complicit with it where they have that great scene where there's a terrorist attack and they set up the, uh, <laughs> the blinds, like the shutters so that you can't see it. And then like once it, like everyone just ignores it, it's like, oh, well it's terrorists. The government will deal with it. Right. So maybe like, maybe they do know about the baby face people, but it, it wouldn't matter. Like right. if you do know that stuff, it's not going to change that it happens. So yeah. um, actually maybe, maybe that's what it is. Uh, well, uh, maybe just step back for a sec. So uh, how did you first hear about Brazil uh, as a movie uh, viewer? Well, I knew about Terry Gilliam. Yep. Because uh, I knew the Monty Python stuff. I had a friend of mine. She's really into that Monty Python. She talked about it a lot. I think maybe she mentioned Brazil to me. Bef- and then you mentioned it also. Mm-hmm. So I had two people talking to me about Brazil. Because I've actually I've seen other. Like uh, Dr. I- Parnassus. Yeah. And uh, Tideland, one of the worst movies ever. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen like his later day stuff, yeah. but I hadn't, I hadn't actually watched a lot of his like amazing movies. So I think it was a uh, two, two parts, you two parts her, and then one part fun, because I was just looking for fun. Well, because you, uh, you, you watched this movie for the first time, was it last year? 
Yeah, it was last year, uh, maybe two years ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, I got uh, I got the Criterion Blue because it was available, and I was like, hot damn. So I got that bad boy, and I uh, ripped her on. Uh, I had no idea about all the scene cuttings and things like that, I, which we'll get to. I yeah. heard that afterwards, but yeah, no, I think it was just recommended a lot to me mm-hmm. by various people that I uh, don't trust their opinion of at all. <laughs> so... But no, yeah, um, yeah, it's great. Like he does such a good job. I think in some parts he does the Orwell thing better than Orwell does. Mm. In some parts, and then a lot. Some parts it doesn't. Like uh, I like his humor, but sometimes the slapstick stuff, I can see where it would be too much. Like uh, when I think when they add music cues to it i think that sometimes for me i think it loses me a little bit but like it doesn't take me out of it i just i can see where other people would be like oh i don't like that like it's so goofy like so i I can see that and then like what you're saying it's not perfect the only scene like the only thing that loses me at all is uh i think the uh the car chase when he actually finds the girl and they're in the car chase and they're they're blowing their way through the city yeah, that's the only thing that loses me. And I'm like, you could probably take that out. Like, I, I see where it adds to it, but I think you could shorten it up a little bit. Like, I don't think that uh, Brazil needed this chase scene. But that's just me. Right. That's just, just me, man. Um, I think he does a few things that are, like, really good where he he shows, like, the citizens or, like, uh, the actual people's opinions and their personalities within the government bureaucracy so the one point he really does it good is where it's the uh, SWAT riot people after oh, he gets, yes. after the bomb blows up and then they're in like the uh, the um, meat wagon with all the bot like all the people hanging up and yeah. Sam's just like knocked out and then he just stumbles on the SWAT guys just having a conversation casual about, conversation about, about sweat sweaty brows and then yeah, they're like, talking oh. about his eyebrows and how it's, it pushes it, it toward your ears yeah yeah, yeah because that's I think that's such a good scene because that's how people really are. Like, you know, those, what was it? Uh, Abu Garab guys <laughs> who like photographed all the, those prisoners naked. But, I bet after they did that, they're like, Oh man, I could really use a Sprite or like, you know, just yeah. like really, yeah. really weird, normal conversation. Cause that's how people are. Well, it's like a lot of the, uh, as we'll find out in a, a couple months here when we watched life of Brian, uh, there's a lot of that. Like, I mean, it's very, it's a very Monty Python esque type of bit scene where it's like, cause it, cause throughout the whole movie, you, you see all these characters. It's just sort of these like faceless SWAT team monsters that just like, right. are they don't give a fuck about anything. They're on the job, but then you see them behind the masks. It's like, yeah, no, they're just like working class blokes. And, uh, they just have mundane, boring conversations about things. Even though it's like, Oh, we have like, we're in this vehicle with like 20 people. Like in like, yeah, they're they're um, have masks over their faces and they're like in like straight jackets and they're just hanging off of chains and they're just chatting away like like this is just another day. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Because and like it's it's funny to see that, but at the same time, it's like yeah, that's I I think that's how some stuff like that actually would go. That's how people yeah. are. So I think he does a really good job like that. And then uh, what I was saying earlier, where I think he does certain Orwellian things better than Orwell does, is like there's one line uh, when he's talking to his information retrieval guy and uh, friend, and he's like, "This is information retrieval. We're making the connections <laughs> to the problem or something." And I that really like that really grabbed me this time. I was like, "Making the connections." 
hmm, I was like, that's a pretty topical thing for government nowadays, making these connections, you know? So I was like, I like that. Um, I think I just have a few more things to say. I think that uh, even when – so he sets up the daydreaming really good where there's always these kind of – he it comes in intervals where you're, you're shown like his daydreams and how he's – basically how he's interpreting what he actually experiences and then it's relived or uh, wish fulfillment, I guess, through his daydreams. Yeah. And then um, not – like just a like a slight spoiler, I guess, but like in the ending, even though you're presented with all these daydreaming things and like you know what's happening, I think the end is still a surprise. Like one until up until a point, like when the newspaper stuff starts happening, that's I think when you you realize you're like, oh okay. But I think it, he he does wrong. it. Yeah, yeah, he does it. So, he sets it up so well that even though you know it's all kind of coming, it's mm. still a surprise, which hey, I think really shows how well put together the movie is. Did you, uh, did you, uh, watching that scene now uh, with like the scene with like when De Niro is like they're running through like the uh, the street and then like mm-hmm. all the and they kind of split up and then the newspapers come blowing and they yeah. they enthrall uh, Tuttle and he blows away inside oh. of the paper or whatever. Uh, the only thing I, I was really aware of, I'm like, oh man, it's the red shoes. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Because at the uh, newspaper garbage, man. Yeah. I, like, I honestly, I didn't even piece it together. Because uh, it's like very similar scene because it's also like during that scene, it's like a phantasmagorical sequence that's like, right. uh, yeah, and, just, and it's like it was like kind of like also supposed to be like in a busy area because like her boyfriend kind of like he gets flattened out into a piece of paper and gets trampled on. This is like kind of slightly different, but very like reminiscent because it's supposed to be kind of like a dream sequence almost. Um, right. But yeah, no, that was good. And yeah, the, actually watching this time too, it really drove home. There's like the, um, I think I dropped this the other week when we were talking about uh, future movies we'll be watching about, uh, oh, Sergei Eisenstein. Um, oh, okay. that guy you made up. Yeah, uh, who directed that film Battleship Potemkin, uh, mm-hmm. which which I'm sure you're very familiar with, RJ. Um, there's yeah. like there's like these steps, uh, it's the Odessa step sequence, where it's like, uh, it's one of those like classic examples of like cinematography, not cinematography, but like uh, editing and montage. And where it's like this like, baby carriage it's going down the steps mm-hmm. and then and this woman gets shot in the eye and she screams and the and the carriage comes crashing down as these like soldiers come marching down firing guns like mm-hmm. on like unarmed people that scene gets to be played out during the dream sequence when they're uh, escaping the uh ministry of information where like the woman with the vacuum cleaner she gets shot in yeah. the eye and the vacuum cleaner comes stumbling down the steps like i i think i knew that scene like around that when I watched this movie for the first time like 15 years ago I'd read that and was like whatever I'd never seen Battleship Potemkin and there's like always right. like that always gets referenced in some movie or another as a parody or like in the, like in the movie The Untouchables uh, it always just shows up but in this one I was like mm-hmm. oh hey it's that shot of the girl being shot in the through the glasses in the face it's like the exact same thing I'm like oh that Terry he's just throwing mm-hmm. in his, uh, his, his little nods here and there but um, <laughs> that wacky Uncle Terry yeah um I, yeah, I've got other thoughts, I guess, toward the about the ending of the movie. I could just ask you now. Um, so, like that was that like when you first watched this movie. That is that kind of when you went, wait a minute, that's yeah. not what would really happen. What what's going on? And then like it starts getting more ridiculous, and then you realize, oh no, yeah. this no, is all it was a dream. actually. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't uh, aware that it soured at all until the newspaper thing, and then it was like. Oh, Uh-oh. but that's what I mean. Like yeah. watching it again, like I knew, I knew that's what happened, but I realized I, uh, I had more of an appreciation for it. I was like, man, he really set that up really well. Cause yeah. even, even though you, 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 you should expect that because of the way that his character is, I, I think it's, 
still a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. That like, yeah, that whole like final sequence of that movie is so good. Cause it like always gets me. Mm-hmm. Like you, I always forget like, Oh yeah. Michael Palin gets shot in the head and then he takes off his mask and then he takes his mask off and then he, then it's like, Oh now he's dead, but it's so good. And then you get, you get the people like, cause they shot that in a like nuclear cooling plant like an uh decom mm. and so like which is like it's such a uh iconic scene i think in movies that whole like that space uh the questioning space which like uh, cerebrum got, yeah well yeah exactly it rips that off later on but no there was like a car commercial i think or like some ad it was like a gigantic inky black mass that people are doing battle with in the exact same type of space Hmm. I can't remember what commercial. It was like I don't know Audi or something like that. But they, it was a wholesale lifting of that Brazil space. Um, huh. Yep. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. That was like a few years ago. That ad. Um, but yeah, I know. And just like the whole, that whole ending, man. It's just like, oh, but it's like kind of like it could be conceived as like it's kind of an optimistic ending that in, in the face of like a totalitarian regime that your body's mm-hmm. destroyed but they can't take away your mind it's kind of like the that's sort of the thing with the difference between it in 1984 i guess is that you really mm-hmm. don't get the sense um oh, what's his name in 1984 the main character in that like he seems like you don't know if he's completely broken or not yeah. like th- there's like the suggestion that well maybe he's not completely broken but he's like well this is the way it's got to be. Uh, and, and like no one could stand up like, to that like torture and everyone's going to break. But like eventually like the system can't withstand this because people are people. People will eventually break down. A lot of people will be like as long as the people are, are fed and like kind of reasonably comfortable, they'll be OK with things. But eventually people do. Well, they'll always have to be oppressed. People always have to be oppressed um, mm-hmm. because of imagination. So in this movie, you have this idea that guys like he managed to like escape in a real way because there was like in the this Brazil world in this like England that's under this like terrible government that's like there's nothing that exists outside of the city. It's just like a wasteland that's hidden behind billboards uh, that we're not supposed to think about, even though it's like, well, eventually food's going to run out and like you can't run away from your problems forever. Um you have this like thing that, well, the, the human imagination will get us out of this problem eventually, even though right now we don't see it right now. It seems mm-hmm. like the, this is the dreariest like thing that it could possibly be there. Uh, you can either escape to your imagination to get away from this horrible world, even though your body is like dead or your brain is completely detached from your like material body. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can beat the system, but at the same time, the system is going to be like, well, that's too unfortunate. And, uh, uh he got away from us. Yep. And that's the end of it. And you just have this man humming the song to himself in a giant nuclear reactor. That's how I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Fried. just uh, yeah, just completely cracked. Yeah, yeah, that's such fun. So much. So what, much what a fun. good movie! Yeah. Hey? And it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's actually where uh, I watched it. Not, yeah, it wasn't last year. I think it was the year before at Christmas time. Because oh. I heard it was a Christmas movie, and it is of sorts. It is. Yeah, of sorts. Of sorts. Um. Yep. Uh. From right off the top of this movie. Um. Uh, there's lots of ducks and uh, some uh, hilariously bad like slip scene where like the guy's walking in front of the televisions and then he just completely mm-hmm. disappears and the window explodes. Oh, uh, that's so much fun! It's it's like oh boy, that's like a real obvious mistake right off the bat. Like bad, uh, they didn't even put the mannequin in to blow it up properly. What a hack! <laughs> what a, what a hack that Terry Gilliam is. 
I'm, I'm fine with really, that. Really expose the business here. Yeah. Uh, but I love the interview with the, like, whatever member of government it is who refers to this terrorism as bad sportsmanship. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I wrote that down, too. That's so funny. And then, yeah, so, like, the as far as, like, uh, satire and stuff like that, the ongoing, like, joke of, like, all the propaganda posters in this movie, mm. they're so excellent. Um, yep. Like, loose talk is noose talk. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wrote down a few of them. They're, there's really great ones. Suspicion breeds confidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those. And then he does. He has a lot of on, ongoing like jokes. A, like the, uh, oh. the Christmas present oh, uh, yeah. where, where everyone's giving each other that stupid fucking present. Like stuff like that. Which then they uh, use in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's because Chevy Chase knows what's up. Yeah, another Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the note. It can't be that dark of a future if we're still watching Marx Brothers movies, right? Because it's like the mm-hmm. <laughs> there's this bit like where they're just watching Marx Brothers. In oh, this right. Because it's like yeah, I was trying to like place what how this like this society got to where it was, and it's sort of like it's kind of like a it's like a retro future where like everything's kind of reverted to like like it's like kind of like a 1950s look, but like the technology sort of like this like uh, it's not steampunk, but it's almost like 80s cyberpunk aesthetic mixed in with this 80s like or 50s noir look um but jared yeah. that's what we're doing right now right now <gasps> i we i wish I, I wish things looked like steampunk even, even is like no not steampunk come on come yeah. on no no oh you mean 1950s fuck yeah yeah you know how Fe- much fedoras <laughs> you know how much i want to be alive in the 50s where you can alcohol and womanate as much as you want smoke womanize every, smoke even? everywhere drive without oh, a seatbelt what a dream mm-hmm. what a dream hang out with frank sinatra and dean martin down at the ritz mm-hmm. Ugh. My, my my paradise what a life um yeah. i think the first bit uh that comes up next is the um when i think about this movie is the thing with uh, ian holm in uh the office uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. just like that big beautiful panning shot running down the halls of the ministry of records all the people mm-hmm. running around with him at the head of the thing and uh yep. going back into his office and everyone just turns to watch western tv which is essentially what people do right now <laughs> they just yeah it is as soon as the boss is around not there they start watching youtube videos um and or going to facebook and check out their status updates yep. in the news and get mad and comment about things they have no power over uh yep. but like goddamn i love ian holmes uh reading of uh mr lowry <laughs> Uh, right. to, to have his deeper voice fuck i i still love yeah. that like i hear that a lot Mr. Lowry. Hey, how how wicked is it to have a movie with ian holm and bob hoskins okay well, I, what, we'll, what a dream we'll, we'll get there we'll get there we'll get uh, oh we're, we're not at bob hoskins oh, okay oh man <laughs> so um yeah, uh, the next big scene that I, re- I vividly remember always of this movie where, like, it's, like, changed my perception of, like, situations is, like, waiters <laughs> and, like, this oh, idea yeah. of, like, French waiters. This th- That guy, because he sounds like Tony Lee, uh, the one, like, famous, like, voice actor, um, but it's not him. It's another guy, but just, like, his, like, just bur- bursting in a frame beside people and going, between you and me, mademoiselle. Uh, I fucking love that. And then, like, mm-hmm. after he serves everybody their, like, liquid glop on their plates, yep. is just, bon appétit. 
it, it's just so Bone thunderous. He, he 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 loves his fucking job. He loves mm-hmm. the roles and his anger, his seething anger when Lowry just refuses to say the number. And he's just like trying to politely say, you have to tell me the number. That's the way the rules work. He's like, just order it for yeah. me. Just say the number for me. And he's so fucking mad. He's just, his disdain. Uh, so I've sure. seen you get like that at the donut counter a few times. Oh, yeah. I start slamming the fist. Yeah. Bon appétit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, my my question for you uh, this week, RJ, is so do you think we'll realize we live in a dark future when it really comes instead of just making jokes about how we live in the darkest timeline? Uh, I, I think if you have to bring it up, it means it already happened. Uh, yeah, I don't know. See, like I was thinking about this recently. Someone was talking about uh, how they went on a fast and like they went to a grocery store and they, they, had, they hadn't eaten for like a week or two and their their eyes welled up when they saw these like piles of oranges and like all this food and stuff like that and I'm like so when people start like saying oh man the grocery store was like out of like a cauliflower again or the like, if suddenly food just starts yeah. like disappearing from grocery stores and people are like oh, oh I just can't find that and they start shopping around like will that be like when people go oh food's just not readily available at my fingertips at all times that's weird and then will that be the tipping point or like when internet becomes intermittent mm-hmm. like there'll be certain times of the day where you just like can't go online because it's like oh we have to power down we're, we're, we're power cycling or oh hey you can't run water all the time like all these little things all these things of modernity that we've uh, come to uh, expect to always be there uh, will be will those be the little signs uh, will be the things that will be like maybe less subtle or less obvious I guess uh, that'll mm. maybe warn us hey maybe we're uh, going down the wrong path I'm pretty sure we had to conserve water about a month ago Uh-oh. where we weren't allowed we were rationing all our water use so mm-hmm. you tell me Uh-oh. chief we, we got to do something about this mayor running these mm-hmm. this city oh mayor Beerman, you mm-hmm. find him down at the pub <laughs> Uh, okay, so now Bob Hoskins. So oh, yeah. I, I I forgot oh. Bob Hoskins was in this movie. Um, but, oh, what a what a treat! Oh my god, he is so scary in this movie. Fucking right, he is. Uh, he is so much more frightening in this than like Long Good Friday. Uh, That's actually what I was thinking the whole time he was on screen. Was your description of a. British bulldog. Yeah, it's like that's what he is in this. He's so intimidating. Oh, yeah, and those the fucking hats. Oh, the biggest the fucking bills. beak. Yeah, the bill. Oh yeah. man, it's, it's like so it's the, good. It's the most impractical bill. Because <laughs> like, how do you get into rooms with the bills that big? Like, you shouldn't come up that much past your face. It's just like in the Sandlot when uh, the kid shows up uh, at the ball at the Sandlot and he's wearing the duck. Like, it's like a fishing or duck hunting hat. Yeah. And the bill is like two feet long. And everyone's like, what the? And they're like, look at this nerd. Mm-hmm. You, you, you always notice a hat with a super long bill. Well, yeah. I don't know what it is. You just got to throw well, that in. Yeah. Well, you look like an asshole. Or in the case of Bob Hoskins, it makes you even more like menacing and off-putting. Oh, so, he's so scary. So, yeah. Um, old Lowry's uh, air AC is all acting up. It's too hot uh, in his building. And uh, he puts an order in to get it fixed. And that's when Robert De Niro's character shows up to fix it himself. And, uh, of course, Bob Hoskins. And I don't know. I can't remember the name of the actor who's like his um, uh, peer uh, they're just like at the door and like, he's like, I don't know. I would say he's like got one of those Geordie accents. that's like really unintelligible. Like you have no idea what he's saying. And it's even, mm-hmm. it's scarier of it. And Bob Hoskins is just like all smiles. <laughs> and, um, 
Yeah, so yeah, he's, that's what got him that Mario Super Mario Bros. That, that's too. right. He he could really play show. He could play a frightening blue, blue collar type of role. Yeah. Uh, and then when the trump card of the uh, uh, like the work order gets brought up, and like the reaction <laughs> and the mm-hmm. the seething rage, and then like the hilarious thing with like them out in the kind of like the uh, outside of the apartment, like on the edge of this building, and just the <laughs> as he gets carried away by Bob Hoskins, we'll be back. Oh my god, yeah. Bob! It's great. Yeah, and it it gives us one of the most primo examples of dump suits you'll ever see <laughs> yeah later on oh, man. with big bob yeah, so and, yeah, and the dump suits yeah, I, I don't like specifically go into this uh, in my notes but yeah there's this scene where we get like that little bit of revenge against the system i suppose it's sort of mm-hmm. like the uh steve austin with the beer bath sequence uh yep. where uh, robert de niro shows up and uh he switches the sewage line at the ac line which is what uh funnels the into the oxygen suits that uh the maintenance men bob hoskins and the other guy are wearing and the shit just fills up their clear plastic suits mm-hmm. um kind of in the style of d pants from tim and eric uh right. and then these men like i guess explode in shit Classic. Um, yeah it's like kind of terrifying and hilarious all at the same time mm-hmm. great great cinema great cinema. great yeah love it yeah uh and then other thoughts here uh just a note about incompetent people in positions of power because <laughs> ian holm uh i forgot how good he is in this like he plays mm-hmm. that skeeviness so well and he's very convincing in like the fact that he's getting lowry to do all, everything for him signing the notes that would get him in trouble because it's like well he just assumes that i don't know what i'm doing but i'm smart enough to know when not to get involved and to let someone else do it and it's like that's so real man that's exactly mm-hmm. what people do in this world. That's what uh, got him the role as uh, Luigi in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Knowing when to step aside. Yeah, and that, and his greatest role of all is Clown in the film Spawn. Ooh, yeah, he was good in that too. Yeah. Yeah, people forget. People forget. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get like a weird like Empire Strikes Back throwback in the in this in that one dream sequence when he after he's defeated the crazy samurai and the the crazy mm-hmm. battle of all the fire and stuff uh we he, he knocks off the mask and under the mask it's himself oh right yeah yeah i, I was thinking i was like what the fuck are you talking about yeah i, I, I might uh, watch it again because it's like a dream it's like a dream sequence yeah. where a man gets unmasked and it's himself i'm like oh that's empire strikes back mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh also got ian holm is like a, a brick sidewalk face remember in the dream sequence when he's uh oh, he's, right, he's going to right. float away and then the hands come out and grab him and it's like so good it looks so great and then it's the face sam help me <laughs> oh, man see that's how you talk sometimes it is um uh, we have that strange scene with the uh, telegram service oh yeah that that's something that has gone away that, that's super hot very <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then there's like the one part where i'm like hey we have like a kind of like a time bandits uh uh, get back together here because uh, we have uh, the scene with Catherine Hellman, old Mona, mm-hmm. Jim Broadbent, who is like the beast because they're both like the beast and wife that are on the ship in Time Bandits. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jack Purvis, uh, one of the little people. Excuse uh, me? The doctor, the, the plastic surgeon. You are you are outrageous. <laughs> what's the, I what, actually, what, uh, RJ, what's I, the, I don't even know what we're talking about. Do you mean Professor Slugworth from Harry Potter? 
I have no idea. Maybe. I, I don't know about that Harry Potter stuff. It's like Roseanne to me, man. Oh, fuck you. You, uh, you got, you got no class, dear. No class. No class. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say, okay. Okay then. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Back hey, you know sleep. what I liked? Back to sleep. What? I, I liked, uh, when they set up the torture room, room. And there's like the table with all the torture devices. There's just a big rubber ball, like a big rubber balancing ball on that, on the mm-hmm. tray. And I think that's really funny. Is that uh, something his daughter was playing with? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. She was like bouncing the ball around. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I just thought it was super funny because I was like, yeah, you could do some damage with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and of course, uh, his daughter, one of his daughter's great lines, uh, put it on, big boy, I won't look at your willy. Excuse me? When does that happen? When, uh, oh my God, did you even watch this movie, RJ? When, I did. So so Michael Palin's daughter, so remember he gives him his suit to wear? He's, yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, your suit, you can't go dress like that. You have to like look respectable. Here, put on my suit. And then uh, he's like, I got to go, I got to leave. And then he leaves. And then um, Jonathan Price is like looking down at the suit. And then like there's a shot to his daughter. And she's just like, put it on, big boy. I won't look at your willy. Did and, I watch the same movie as you? <laughs> oh, my God. It's... Oh. RJ, you you need to do a better job of this. Okay, <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. Was the version you watched two hours and twenty three minutes? Correct. Okay, maybe I did watch the same movie. Okay, must have been farting or something. I don't know. I don't know. Um. Anyway, backtracking a little bit. So uh, uh-huh. after um, Lowry gets his promotion to the Ministry of Information, uh, we get that great visual gag. I guess of the fine line of an office and a jail cell and uh as we it's like it's such a well-played bit because it's, it's very again multi python like uh when he walks into his office and it's like there's like a half a poster and there's like half a desk and you realize that this was a full office that just has literally been cut down the middle that is like exactly how they made the decision they didn't repurpose it they just said oh we'll put a wall right here because that's mm-hmm. how things work in society and then we get introduced to uh his next door neighbor uh harvey lime uh lime Lime, okay, uh, which uh, is a throwback to the movie The Third Man, RJ, which you'll <gasps> find out one day. Uh, but yeah, the actor Charles McEwen, who plays uh, Harvey Lime, he is also one of the co-writers of Brazil. And he was like a uh, somewhat of a part-time collaborator with uh, Terry Gilliam and those uh, Python guys. Uh, but yeah, so then uh, Michael Palin, he's got that blood-spattered apron, which is like, again, like his like whole performance and like the way they use him in this. Uh, I mean, he was like a pretty famous member of the group. And like they, I like how they've always underplayed Michael Palin's roles in like this and in Time Bandits. Like he's not a focal point. In this, he's definitely more of a character, like a main character. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And yeah, there's another great uh, propaganda poster, Consumers for Christ. Ooh, I Ooh, like that one. Yeah, it's a real good one. Um, and yeah, that uh, writhing pile of blown up old lady customers uh, in this movie, uh, it's a lot more disturbing uh, these days than it was, I think, when I first watched this movie. Um, maybe it's like in that higher res <laughs> after the, depart- you- the when the department store blows up um, mm-hmm. and like you just see all like you see like dozens of like old ladies all just like writhing around on the floor. Right. Yeah. You didn't used to think that that was upsetting at all? Or? No, it didn't phase me much at all. 
Oh, you're such a monster, dude. <laughs> I didn't. It didn't like strike me as like oh terrorism. I didn't think about it in those terms. I was like at that time, I was like, what? What's a terror in 2000? The world's a different place, RJ. For yeah, it's for many reasons. Post 9/11 world now, friend. Oh, so you had to say it. Yeah. Um, That's what you were hinting at. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, there's uh, another great bit I like with the when it's uh, Lowry and his lady making out uh, at his mom's place, and uh, there's like when the SWAT team comes blasting through, and one of them comes swinging through uh, an open door, and it's like, yeah. but they still like kick the like door, <laughs> like that even though it's been open, it's like, oh, that seems unnecessary, but that's shock and awe. You just yeah. you come in blasting, people put people in their place. I think that's really funny, and then I think his response is really funny. He's like, "She's dead." Yeah. No, no, it's fine. She's dead. Yeah. He's like putting pebbles over her. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Laughs in a dark, dark world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'll try that one day when next time someone breaks into my bedroom. Mm-hmm. She's like, "She's dead." Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's dead. Uh, so yeah, just a couple production notes I'll just mention out there. So yeah, this movie mm. was co-written by Terry Gilliam. Uh, yes. Charles McEwen and Tom Stoppard, who I'm not sure if you're really familiar with him. Uh, he wrote oh. the play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is sort okay. of the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that thing. It's like the inverse of Hamlet. It's like, what, what were Rosencrantz and Guildenstern doing while Hamlet was happening? And it's like sort of this like yeah. drab, absurdist kind of uh, existential comedy about these two characters who are just fated to die. That is their entire mm-hmm. purpose is to die off camera in Hamlet. Um, and he also co-wrote yeah. that uh, Academy Award-winning movie, Shakespeare in Love, because Tom Stoppard mm-hmm. loves him some Shakespeare and meta-commentary. Yeah. Ewey. Oh, the movie's just a movie. It's like... What, Shakespeare in Love? Yeah. I don't know. I watched it when I... When did that come out? 2000? 97. I yeah, well, say. I watched it in 2000, so okay. I have no opinions of that. Yeah, it's whatever. It's a movie. It's not. It's not mm-hmm. horrible. It's just a movie. Is it a yeah. best year movie of the year? No. Anyway, um, yeah. so yeah, and then there's like the whole like production history of this movie. Um, oh yeah. Uh, which is recapped in a. This is a pretty good. Uh, this is probably one of the better uh, Blu-ray collections, DVD collections that Criterion had probably put out at this point. Like it was probably mm-hmm. when it came out. Probably for a while there, it was like probably one of the best movies you could come along with because it was so thorough in investigating the film's production and it's like troubled history uh, by putting together the one hour long documentary Battle of Brazil which isn't like it's, just, it's not a great documentary by any stretch but it's just informative um, and it comes down to Terry Gilliam's cut of this movie was 142 minutes it was released internationally people saw it and then Universal bought the North American uh, distribution rights and then Sid Sheinberg who was kind of like the the super producer who was working with like Spielberg and stuff like that at the time, he could do no wrong. He saw this movie and he was like, Nope, this isn't commercial at all. No one in America is going to get this movie. So we got to cut this from 142 minutes to like 94 minutes, which mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've, I've talked about this before. It's like the dumbest thing in the world. Like why do studios think they should do this with movies that they mm-hmm. acquire? Like, wasn't it fine in the first place? Like, why didn't you just go with that one? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they had a very public uh, spat about this. Like Terry Gilliam ran like a big like uh, one page ad, I think in Variety, uh, just like mm-hmm. explaining the situation to the public. Um, and then they wound up like reaching a compromise 
uh, that Universal released a 132-minute cut of it, so it was like 10 minutes shorter, and that's what right. was released in theater. Uh, the Sid Sheinberg version, the 94-minute version, it aired on TV. So if people watch mm-hmm. uh, Brazil only on TV ever in their life, they were watching a movie that was like a full 40 minutes uh, shorter, and uh, it's completely gutted of its original ending. Right. It's it's a happy ending, RJ. Things work yeah. out great. <laughs> I've heard that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, oh, it's. I think it pretty well just ends with, uh, I did it. Uh, I've I've erased you. You're dead. <laughs> and then they then they go off to the farm. <laughs> That's like, yeah. There's still like 30 minutes after that. Yeah, no, like it's so it's like all of like the amazing, yeah. like it's yeah. I didn't watch it again this time around, but like it's it's terrible. Um, on Letterbox, there's a lot of people who log Brazil with like half star reviews, one star reviews, and then they clarify, oh, this is for the Sid Sheinberg edition. I can't believe such a thing exists. Blah blah blah. It's like, well, they're, now you're they're not, breaking down the rating. Exactly, system. the our most precious resource, the Letterbox rating system. Fuckers. No laughing matter. Jeez. Yeah. Didn't, don't they know? Didn't you tell them? I guess I failed to. They don't listen to the show. That's <sighs> that's my bad, I suppose. Uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, Brazil is awesome. Uh, yes, I like this movie a lot. Um, but you know what, RJ? There's some people who dare hate Brazil. I can see that. I guess I. I don't agree with them. You want you want to hear you want to hear their thoughts? Not really. Oh well, you're going to anyway. No. Uh, somebody named Brox gave this one star. Uh, blah blah blah. I get it. 1984 reinterpreted as a comedy. Too bad none of it hits. The recording of the non-recorded call was the only worthwhile gag. Dystopian comedy is a done thing, and Brazil might have been one of the first ones to do it, but in a sea of commentary that has been made over and over, it is too blunt to make the cut. Compound this with mm-hmm. a classic cop-out ending and a plot that meanders until the lead finally meets his weak love interest, and the entire thing seems pointless, but for enabling dumbass redditors to point out that real life is becoming more like more and more like this. Idiocracy falls victim to this too, but saves itself by actually being funny and having a coherent plot. There are some people that I respect who regard this film highly, so maybe it's worth watching again when my head is full uh, is less full of snot. <laughs> but what? at present, I feel like I wasted enough of my time to justify wasting a little more by writing this review. I think you wasted everybody else's time by being alive. Oh, oh, what a hater, hey? So, what do you, what do you think of the? Uh the the romantic love interest stuff in Brazil. It's, it's what the movie is. <laughs> right. Like, it's why, like, why would you take that out? Like that's I, the movie. Yeah, I think there's like a certain amount of disconnect. There's a winning, there's a wooing process. Um, yeah. I feel like that, like that is the movie. All this other stuff with like the government and all that, that's just the con, like the setting. Yeah. The, yeah. the movie is or like start, you know, star crossed lovers. Yeah, to a, I mean, to agree. I mean, I thought like their interactions are pretty good. Like when they first meet up, she wants yeah. nothing to do with them. She like kicks him out of a moving vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. She has no time for him. But then uh, he kind of wins her over by like through his acts. He actually does things, even though they're reckless. And like ultimately, like I was thinking about that about the Lowry character, and like he like really kind of deserves what he gets to a certain degree because he's like so 
bad at doing everything. Like he's not a good he's not a good rebel. He's not a good terrorist. Like he just he's too broad and like lazy about doing things. Like it would be like a real yeah. per- like it's like if a real person decided to do this stuff, they'd get caught and then they'd be executed or whatever. They'd be destroyed in the society. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair, but I mean, in the confines of the world's logic, I mean, he is this like hapless dreamer being ground down into paste um, in this dreary dystopian future. Ain't that a bitch? Yeah, and oh man, like it's pretty brutal too. Because like when he gets uh, black bagged in the bed with her, and then you hear the gunfire, and then there's this whole thing of like, oh, she's dead. Oh, it's confusing because she died a second time. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. there you go. She actually is dead, and it's like, well, that's depressing. You don't even get to see anything about that. And it's just like, yep, that's his life in this crappy world, and it's been set up the whole time. Mm, that's life in this world too yeah baby well let's see what uh what does p steed have to say about this movie oh he gave it one star uh, the, the trouble with a film set in the future is that when you are, are already living in that future and it is nothing like the film imagines then it dates very quickly this oh film, shut up <laughs> this design was too busy reminded me a bit of wes anderson but not as cute i found it unwatchable to be honest jesus Oh my god, that is like the most fucking stupid thing I've ever read. That's like that's like watching Back to the Future and being like, "Oh my god, that's not the way the world is right now." Yeah. Oh, it, this movie fucking blows. It Ugh. dates very quickly. It's like you know, if you just took off that like uh, sometime in the twentieth century thing, uh, like who knows? Mm-hmm. Like things could like revert. Like things would look older and crappier. That's kind of like Children of Men. Things like stop progressing yep. because there's no more like resources to like build upon. So you start falling back and things start turning into like shitty refugee land. And in this world, they're like trying to mask the refugee-ness of things. Cause like when there's like the scenes like where they're going down to like uh like to the estates and to like kind of like the high rises and stuff like that, and like everything's mm-hmm. like nuclear nuclearly powered. Um, it's like all crappy. Like poor people look like they're genuinely poor. And like there's mm-hmm. like a lower yeah. there's a lower class and a middle class. It's sort of like a it's a mixed mishmash of like dark futures. Uh, and neither of them are good and they're all compromised. Um but yeah, I mean, like they're masking the fact that everything's gone to shit and they're doing it in the proper British way, which Terry Gilliam being an American filmmaker making stuff in England, he probably finds like that um, stiff upper lipness of uh, the British is like a point of this film. Like he's he's playing with that Britishness and like that's where he finds the comedy. It's that's like mm-hmm. all the goddamn Monty Python is. But hey, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. One last one here from Jeremy Richard. One star. To my estimation, there isn't another film director working today that gets more undeserved uh, critical attention than Terry Gilliam. Mm. That is like, and this guy wrote this in 2014. That is like so not true. I don't think. Yeah. People don't talk about Terry Gilliam the way they used to. Case in point, Brazil, which has received overwhelming critical praise, uh, placement on several best of 80s films lists, and not one but four fucking Criterion Collection releases. Having finally gotten around to watching this film for the first time, I have no inkling whatsoever as to what all the fuss is about. Brazil is nothing more than a criminally overlong, drab, ugly, dull, tedious exercise to sit through. The film is set in a dystopian future, just like practically every other Gilliam film, and its story <laughs> revolves around a lower-level government employee working for Ministry of Information who discovers that a girl he's been having frequent dreams about is, in fact, a real person. So he sets off to try and rescue her as she's a wanted individual by the same government agency he happens to be working for the film is a chore to sit through at its 142 minutes running time i sort of wish i'd watched the much maligned love conquers all 
version of the film, which is apparently only 94 minutes long. At least this would have saved me the extra 48 minutes of precious time I wasted sitting through this entire mess. Gilliam's films tend to get a lot of praise for its visual presentation, but there's nothing pretty or interesting to see in this film because pretty because pretty is means visual, I guess. Um, in fact, it's remarkably hideous. Everything from the costumes to the sets and production designs are absolutely dreadful. The mm. film score by Michael Kamen has a lot of the typical sound of film scores of the 1980s. Oh my god, does oh, it? Does wow. does it really? The fucking like bar mitzvah music. That yeah, that's right. Every every 80s movie had that music score. With an over-reliance on horns, and it's one of the first soundtracks in a long time that's been noticeably bad. <laughs> first soundtracks in a long time of when? Since he wrote this or since the movie came out? So bad, I had the urge to play the film on mute. Maybe this Ooh. way I could have avoided the whiny dribble of the main character whose everly increasing complaint made me want to punch him in the face repeatedly. The film's lone bright spot is the character Archibald Harry Tuttle as played by Robert De Niro. Unfortunately, uh. Robert De Niro's appearance in the film are few and far between and he's frustratingly underutilized. The only way I'll revisit this film is that the Ministry of Information becomes a real entity and forces me to sit through it again as a means of torture. <laughs> Oh, he he! Take that, Terry Gilliam. Uh, I don't know if you noticed the the theme here of like we now talked about fifty one movies. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like these uh, people who hate these movies they they always try to get themselves over. They're always like trying to just get that last little bit of like I'm so witty. Look at me. Mm-hmm. And it's like to what to what notice? It's like what they all want to be like fucking Leonard Malton or some shit. <laughs> some mm-hmm. some fucking hack film critic. <laughs> it's just. It amazes me. Like, I mean, it's obvious, but it's like he just doesn't get it, hey? And, like, I don't think it's an overtly, like, complex movie. Like, no, like, it's, it's not. It's, it's not challenging you that much. Like, he, he's like, oh, it's drab and it looks bad. It's like, hey, dude, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and in fact, it looks, it's, it looks amazing. Like it looks, yeah. so, it looks so good. Like goddamn, the costumes and the designs and the aesthetics, like the the walls and the grays match the goddamn suits that people are wearing. Yeah, the clothing, like that's... everything is like it's so figured out. It's like it's a fantastic. Um, like this goes back to like, um, so Terry Gilliam. Uh, I mean, he was a he's a cartoonist animator, who like who also RJ loves Fellini. Uh, Fuck you. Nobody <laughs> loves Fellini. Oh, buddy, when we watch Eight and a Half, uh, Terry Gilliam's got like a 15 minute interview about how much he loves Eight and a Half, and it's his favorite movie of all eight, time. Eight and a Half is good, though. Okay. It's Fellini. So, anyway, That's the only one. Uh, I like. But, like, I mean, it's again, it's a visual thing. Like, they're both like uh, cartoonists, and which I guess maybe is something like I respond to uh, a bit myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, he's like, he, he's a visual guy, and he, he, fig- he, has no exact, he knows exactly what he wants everything to look like. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like, goddamn, that thing, I, the score, we didn't even talk about the score talking about this movie the score is like yep. so damn good um like that last piece of music that's playing over the credits which don't yeah. go to black it just lets you linger over this last final image like goddamn, mm-hmm. and it's like so good so moving uh it's used like inventively constantly in different ways um in a way that like movies from the 80s simply don't do uh it's mm-hmm. actually very like sophisticated to pull it off that way and do it the way they did it uh yeah i don't know that that's some, that's some bullshit right there calling into question the score i mean if you yeah. don't like that sound i guess this movie would probably be pretty annoying but um i don't know that's that's your deal i suppose i don't know it sounds a little too much like it was from the 80s for me 
Yeah. What, what, what a weird idea. Something made in 1985. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. Speaking of 80s, I, I remember I wrote something where I like uh, – I was it was like when he's first daydreaming in the cloud sets. Yeah. And I was like practical daydreams because it was like practical effects and daydreams. And then I was like, oh, that would be a great name for a post-punk band, practical daydreams. That's very <laughs> 80s. Somebody out there will get that. That could be a prog rock band. Somebody will get that. Yeah. 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 No, that guy's wrong. Uh, he, he doesn't get it, which sucks for him because he's missing out on good movies, I think. Yeah. I don't know. But you know, it's like I, I, I go and click on these people's things to see like, what do, what do they consider good movies? And it's not like they yep. don't like, like good movies. But then once in a while you'll see, oh, they gave old school four stars. And they go, yeah. And then this in Brazil's one star, huh? Yeah, and their favorite movie is Flight with Denzel Washington. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, any last thoughts? Um, nope. nope. It's a pretty good movie. Everybody likes it. Yep. And or should. And, and as time goes on, more and more actors in this movie die. More and more. Watch, watch and out! More. Watch out, Bobby. Bob? Who? Oh, Bob De Niro. Yeah. Oh, whatever. He's a fucking weird anti-vaxxer now, oh, so... Yeah, I know you're right. He can't die soon enough. Yeah, whatever. Like, he's a dink, he's so... A, yeah, it's a... Yeah, oh, anyway. Hey, we're not that podcast. Um, yeah. Well, that's it, folks. Uh, after the break, um, I will be left a pile of immobile goo, but my Ooh. brain will live on in my own dreamscape, and RJ will lay dead on the floor, shot... <sighs> I, I want to be the jelly body that falls out of the Oh, coffee. yeah. That was, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, whatever her yeah. name is. Ooh. <laughs> more complication. There's uh, more complication. Can I? Uh, I'll be I'll be her. You'll, you'll be here, the goo, the gel, gelatinous goo. Yeah, I'll be the jelly body. I'm cool with that. Awesome. Nice. Daydreams. Are you ever a uh, like heavy metal angel flying through the clouds? I'm usually just a hot. Oh, Skype edited your response. What? Oh, I said I'm usually just a hot dog. Oh, be... you ever just try to be a hot dog? Like, are, are you like in now? Okay, we have in to, a bun. We gotta unpack this. So, are you like 
a hot dog or are you like a man in a hot dog bun being eaten by like a giant person yeah 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 like you're you are the hot dog in the bun being eaten wow so like you're, you're just you're, a hot dog yeah you're into that vor stuff then oh what does that mean that uh, doesn't sound good v-o-r look it up and folks, you can I'm not e- going to. <laughs> you can email us at criteriangreaves at gmail.com. Uh, and you can tell us about what you are in your daydreams. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on the letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all those podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, rate and subscribe. Those things are important. Uh, yes. I think we're coming up actually on surpassing the criterionist with our like next episode or so. And yet uh, he has more ratings than we do. Yeah, that's a crockable right there. Yeah. Next week, spines fifty-two and fifty-three in another Aww. double header. Come on. We're heading back to the like sixteenth century or some shit in Japan, RJ. Back to Kurosawa territory. Uh, nice. That's right. It's time for the return of the samurais and the Criterion Creep. We got Yojimbo from 1961 and Sanjuro from 1962. I'm in, baby. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I watched these. And I, I, yeah. Uh, you gonna watch those uh, Man with No Name movies? Uh, I have before. Yeah. They're kind of like watch the- Star Wars. Uh, nope. Isn't that isn't that a remake of Yojimbo? Uh, that would be Hidden Fortress. Well, you know what? Whatever. Or something. Art, art isn't real anyways, so. It's all fake. This podcast yeah. is fake. Yep, it's all fake. Fake news, baby. That's right. Uh, good night, folks. Enjoy right. reading your fake news. Um, yep. <laughs> Done. I tried to think of something, but it, something never came. I know how that is. <laughs> <laughs>